Hey guys, welcome back to That Florida Feeling. How are you guys this week? Everybody doing good? I hope everybody's doing good. It's been a week, adulting and work, such, but I hope everybody's doing good. Thank you guys for your love on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You guys are simply still amazing. I think you'll always be amazing, so thank you. Don't forget to turn on notifications so you don't miss an episode, and if you have a second, that five-star review from Apple is super appreciated. Thanks for all the new members joining the Facebook group, and as always, Instagram and Facebook questions are super fun, and you guys are always awesome to participate. Although, I have realized that there apparently are a certain kind of people on Instagram and a certain kind of people on Facebook. Um, I did the same question on the Instagram and Facebook poll this week. I thought it was kind of a fun one. Apparently, the Facebook people prefer sunsets, and the Instagram people prefer sunrises. A couple of you guys said both. I agree with you guys. It just depends on what mood I'm in. Am I going to get up early and start my day productive? Or am I going to stay up late, be a night owl, and, you know, take in nature that way? Either way, I just think it's funny. It was not the same for both. Don't forget, it's still hurricane season. The Atlantic seems to be heating up pretty well. So just stay informed, stay prepared. It's still the rainy season in Florida. So anything can happen, guys. This week, I was really kind of up and down on what I wanted to talk to you guys about. I got a lot of great episodes coming up. I've written a couple of them out, but this week I felt it was fitting to talk about a certain one. And you guys have heard me mention it. No, it's not Dunedin. Um, it's actually St. Augustine. And I don't want to talk about it just because I live there, but because it truly is where Florida started. And since this is a podcast about Florida, we've kind of got to give, you know, St. Augustine its own episode, actually episodes. And Simply because St. Augustine is Florida. It's the oldest city in Florida. It's the oldest continuously inhabited European establishment or established settlement in the continuous U.S. The reason I say continuous is because technically San Juan is the oldest because it was founded in 1521. Uh, But St. Augustine, in her own right, is still the oldest city in the U.S. And she just celebrated her 456th year on September 8th. So not, not too many days ago, actually this week. The city sits about 45 minutes below Jacksonville and about an hour north of Daytona. It's off 95. The town sits in St. John's County, and it is actually the county seat of St. John's. I know that we've talked a lot about the history of Florida in a few different episodes, and of course this one's no different, but we're going to talk in depth about the history of one such place that really gave Florida its Florida feel, and that is St. Augustine, because it really is the beginning of the Sunshine State. It's also the home of the Fountain of Youth folklore. It's the home of Fort Moose, which you guys have heard me talk about, but it was built in 1738 as a free black settlement, which was the first legally sanctioned in what would be the U.S. That in its own right is simply amazing. They were way ahead of their time. So St. Augustine has some really cool stuff beyond just being the oldest city. They've got a lot of uh, history in the Spanish. They've got their own British history. The French tried to get in there. They didn't really make it. We're going to talk about that. They've got civil rights. We're actually really big in St. Augustine. And of course, the first free black settlement is really cool, especially for later on. So I want to talk to you guys about this wonderful, beautiful town. And of course, we've all heard things about St. Augustine, mainly that it's haunted. Go ahead and give you guys a heads up. We're not going to talk about the ghost this time. We're gonna, Well, I'm going to tell like one ghost story. But that's going to be its own episode because literally St. Augustine is so haunted. It deserves its own episode. So... Let's get to talking about what St. Augustine is, where it came from, and why we still appreciate it to this day. 
So St. Augustine was founded on September 8th in 1565 by Pedro Menendez de Avilés, who also would end up being Florida's first governor. And the town was actually named San Augustine uh, because when they saw the land that would become St. Augustine, it was sighted 11 days earlier on August 28th, which is also the feast day of St. Augustine, hence the name. Now, why was Menendez even in the Atlantic near Florida? Well, he was actually commissioned in 1560 by King Philip II as a commander of the Armada de la Carrera, or the Spanish Fleet Treasure. And in 1564, he kept asking to go to Florida. He wanted to go to Florida because he wanted to search for the La Concepcion, which was the flagship of the new Spanish fleet, which was actually commanded by his son, Admiral Juan Menendez. And those ships had been lost in a hurricane, so just one of the many hurricanes off the coast of Florida. Of course, he was denied and denied and denied, and he did not give up. And we're glad he didn't give up, otherwise we wouldn't have St. Augustine. But he was finally given the request in 1565 when the Spanish decided that they were tired of the French outpost Fort Caroline that was located in the, their, the territory. Of course, Fort Caroline is in what is now present-day Jacksonville. And if you ever get the chance to go, it's really cool to check out. It's about, I would say, an hour north of St. Augustine. Um, and they've got some really cool trails around the um, the rivers and stuff. But it's a cool place to go, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about, but I just want to mention it. So, after Menendez had asked and asked and asked and just wanted to go, the king actually ended up approaching him this time to lead the expedition. But he had to be under the understanding that he would explore and settle the area and that he would get rid of the Huguenot French in the area. And the reason for that is is because the Spanish are Catholic, and they considered any Huguenots and the French to be a dangerous heretic, and they didn't want that in their territories or anywhere near their territories. So Menendez headed up the expedition as he raised the French captain, Jean Rybalt, to Florida. And, of course, Rybalt was going to secure Fort Caroline, and Menendez was going with the idea that he was going to destroy it. So Menendez sailed across the Atlantic, and eventually spotted land on August 28th, which would be why it got St. Augustine. But he continued to sail northward until he met Rybalt, where they had a skirmish. Of course, in naval battles, sometimes there's definite winners, but in this one there wasn't. They both just kind of limped away, sailed back to their respective areas, took a couple of their losses, and knew that they would meet again. So as Menendez sailed back south, um, he landed on September 8th, 8th, where he declared possession of the land for Philip II for Spain, and the landing spot was named San August, San Augustine. It's not San Augustine, but it's Augustine. It's, it's the other spelling of it. And Father Francisco Lopez de Menendo, Mendoza Grajales, probably didn't say that right, really sorry, but he had the first Catholic mass for the new colony. And this is really what created the settlement. So the settlement was built on the site of a former Timucuan village, Saloy. And that spot was chosen for the defensibility and the proximity to fresh water. And St. Augustine is actually in proximity to both the inlet, the ocean, and fresh water. So they kind of had many routes to go up or down the coast. So it really was good for them. Now, of course, the French knew that they, had, they were nearby. And so they tried to attack the settlement. So the French sailed from Fort Caroline down, but of course a squall ruined their naval forces because that is so Florida, just hurricane screws it all up. 
So Menendez marched his troops over the land of Fort Caroline, which is about 30 miles away, because he knew that they were basically defenseless. Fort Caroline is not defended. They've got maybe a handful of troops, and he killed all the troops. He did spare the women and children, and because the Spanish tend to have a flair for the dramatic, they actually hung the victims in the trees around the fort with the inscription, hanged not as Frenchmen, but as Lutherans, because Lutherans was a heretic, was considered heretic, so a bad thing to them. They renamed the Fort Caroline to Fort San Mateo, and they went back to St. Augustine. But when they got back to St. Augustine, they found a surprise, because it's that whole, but wait, there's more. He found the survivors from the shipwreck that had come to attack them. Because of that squall line, they were a little bit south of the settlement they had been wrecked. So he took them prisoner, he accepted their surrender, and then he executed them, except for a few professing Catholics who were put to work on the settlement. Because he knew that they, he, wasn't, he was not there to give sanctuary. He was there to win. And he did. And the place of the massacre is actually known as Matanzas Inlet. And that's near the now National Monument of Fort Matanzas, which was built somewhere between 1740 to 1742. You can actually still visit it today. It's a little bit south of St. Augustine. It's actually a really cool experience. It's run by the National Park Service. And you take a ferry across the inlet and you can see this original fort. It's not very big, but it's somewhere to visit. And it's got really beautiful views of the inlet. And you can see a lot of wildlife. I actually went about a month and a half ago. And there's some sea turtles and some really cool marine life and some birds. So if you're in St. Augustine, definitely visit Fort Matanzas as well as Castillo de San Marco. Alright, back to our regular podcast. Now the settlement of St. Augustine grew and kept peaceful coexistence with the Native Americans until about 1586. And that is when Sir Francis Drake sacked and burned the settlement during the war between England and Spain. And the governor at the time was Pedro Menendez Marquez, saw the fleet, and he actually evacuated the townspeople. Um, so he actually saved a lot of people. But in this, this scuffle, the Spanish managed to kill an English sergeant major, and that is the sole reason that Drake gave for burning the settlement to the ground. So that's just the first of many of issues that St. Augustine is going to have in its long history. Now, of course, that was in 1586. There was a couple more peaceful years, but about 1609 to 1611, there were expeditions sent from St. Augustine um, that came out of other settlements further up the coast from the British. And they didn't stop with one or two. They kept coming. And the settlement continued to have things go wrong for it, especially through the second half of the 17th century or the 1600s. And that's when groups of Indians from the colonies of Carolina started to make raids down into Florida. And they even killed a Franciscan priest who was serving at the Catholic missions. So the settlement governors knew that this was a, they, they were losing. This is just a losing battle. So they made requests and requests and requests for the Spanish crown to send help. But they were ignored many times citing other priorities in their, in their, um, I just lost the word, empire, sorry guys, in their empire, that they didn't really have the time for the Spanish colony in Florida. So St. Augustine continued to try and make it on its own, but it was again sacked in 1668 by English buccaneer Robert Searle. And after capturing supplies and heading to the settlement, having the crew sail into the settlement, well, so basically... He captured a ship, because this is really weird. So, this buccaneer captured a ship that was a Spanish ship and took it over. 
and he hid below the decks because that's such a pirate thing to do while he had the crew fearing for their lives sail into St. Augustine. And of course, as soon as they got there, they just unleashed. And he was actually retaliating for the Spanish destruction of the New Providence in the Bahamas. And Searle and his men killed 60 people, pillaged all the public storehouses, churches, and, ha and every other place in the town. So pretty much wiped out the town yet again. This is at least the second or third time this has happened in its history. Now, the, count, the, the Crown continued to ignore the vulnerability of the settlement until a settlement of Charlestown was built by the English, and they decided that that was too close and that they wanted to strengthen the settlement. So the Queen Regent Mariana distributed, dispersed or distributed funds to St. Augustine for the construction of a permanent masonry fortress. And this began in 1672 to build this fortress. And I'm sure you guys already know what I'm talking about. It's the most famous structure in St. Augustine. So the St. Augustine, they built the Castillo de San Marcos, and it was completed in 1695. So it took about 20-something years to build this monstrosity of a fort. But that was okay, because St. Augustine was again attacked in 1702 by James Moore from Carolina. And they sieged it for 58 days before Moore and his men set town, the town ablaze that was not protected by the fort and then just left. They gave up. The fort was impenetrable. They had won that part. So, again, they rebuild. And again, they're attacked in 1740 by James Oglethorpe from Georgia. But this time, this settlement held its own. They had finally gotten enough supplies and masonry and people and troops that they they stayed so this is when saint augustine really becomes its own right in the new world now the spanish didn't control saint augustine in its entire 456 years obviously because they became america eventually but it swapped hands a lot more just before the spanish gave it to the new u.s the british actually took over saint augustine in 1763 and that was because of the treaty of paris so they gave Havana and Manila to Spain, and Spain gave St. Augustine to the British. And of course, when the British rule took over, it became a mass exodus from this area, from the Spanish. So most of these people left St. Augustine, and they headed for Cuba. So Florida became the 14th and 15th colony of Great Britain, and St. Augustine's one of those. Now, of course, during this time of St. Augustine's rule from the British, the... Um, Revolutionary War actually broke out in the colonies. And St. Augustine would actually become a loyalist during the American Revolutionary War because they held such political sympathies towards the British because of all the British inhabitants in the area. So, basically the British brought in and repopulated the area because they started giving out land grants to people from any part of the empire to go to Florida and they actually gave out about 3 million land grants at, at one point. And they, want, they wanted to repopulate. They wanted to, I wouldn't say wipe out the Spanish influence in St. Augustine, but they definitely wanted to make it their own. So much so that they began to add second stories to the existing Spanish homes. They built up the settlement. They even created plantations in the area and working cattle ranches to bring agriculture to the area to actually grow it from just a settlement to maybe its own city and to a trade port. So that was the British's idea of how to, to handle St. Augustine. But unfortunately, it didn't last long. The British actually only ruled St. Augustine from 1763 
for 20 years before another Treaty of Paris, this one in 1783, which also recognized the independence of the 13 colonies, gave Florida back to Spain and the Bahamas back to Britain. So this is known as the Second Spanish Period of St. Augustine. Now, of course, the Second Spanish Period um, lasted a little bit longer than the British rule, of course. It actually lasted from 1784 to 1821. And this really saw the Florida Territory become neglected because of how things were going in Europe and South America for the Spanish Empire. So Spain tried to keep hold of it, and they really couldn't afford to run the one territory in Florida, and then what else was going on in other parts of its of its countries. So the U.S. wanted Florida to join it as it as a well a colony or a territory they had just created this new country and they wanted to expand and florida was perfect so the adams onus treaty which was ratified in 1821 and that made florida and saint augustine part of the u.s as a territory so yay another place ruling over saint augustine this is the third so andrew jackson was actually sent to florida to establish the new territorial government and set it up as what would become florida so Americans from Virginia, Georgia, and Carolinas began to move into Florida. And the capital was in St. Augustine when uh, the, they first took it over from the Spanish. The capital of Florida was technically St. Augustine. It had moved from Pensacola in its first years. It had become St. Augustine because St. Augustine had grown. But, of course, they didn't like that. Um, the Americans just did not like that it was St. Augustine. They thought that it needed to be somewhere more centralized so that's when the Florida capital moved from St. Augustine to Tallahassee because it was between both old capitals, Pensacola and St. Augustine. Even though it has nowhere centralized in Europe because you've forgotten the entire other part of, not Europe, Florida. Sorry guys, adulting, long work day. But anyways, I don't understand, side note, I don't understand how they picked Tallahassee saying it's centralized in Florida because it's not. It's in the panhandle. You've forgotten so much other part of Florida. All right, sorry, back to St. Augustine. So, St. Augustine continued to persevere and grow uh, as the U.S. government started to take it over, but slowly it began to turn when the U.S. government started to favor the removal of indigenous people in Florida. But these people were not going to leave without a fight. In fact, these people fought so hard it became the Seminole Wars, and these wars took place in the 1800s. The Treaty of Moultrie Creek forced the Seminoles from the area of St. Augustine, to a reservation in central Florida. So, of course, these wars happened. The Seminoles fought back, and good for them. Um, the Second Seminole War, though, meant that some of the prisoners that were taken in from the war were actually held at Fort Marion, which, was, which is what the U.S. renamed Castillo de San Marcos. So, these prisoners were held there, and... You know, it just, it wasn't good. The Seminoles, I mean, they had the right to fight for their land. But we all know how that turned out. So the 1800s continued to go, and St. Augustine saw a population boom. Um, unfortunately, half of that population was slaves. And thanks to steamboats and railroads in the area, it continued to grow. Now, in 1845, the Florida Territory became an official state of the Union and known as the state of Florida. Now, the state didn't get to enjoy a long a statehood long before the Civil War broke out, and St. Augustine was no exception. It was actually controlled by the Confederates for 14 months of the war. The Union actually took over St. Augustine in 1862 and actually managed to keep it the rest of the war. 
But by this time, the town was pretty much desolate because the economy had turned. People were leaving the area. They weren't sure if the war was going to hit them. Other things had happened, and they just didn't feel like St. Augustine was the area they needed to be in. So, after that population boom in the early 1800s, it pretty much just died out. But of course, since we know it's the continuously inhabited city, it obviously didn't completely die. So, St. Augustine persevered yet again, and actually caught the eye of Mr. Henry Flagler and Mr. John D. Rockefeller in the 1880s. So much so that in 1883, they went and spent their winter there, and they found it charming. They liked it. They loved the city, but they found it lacking in all basic amenities, such as hotels, transportations, and anything that would give them comfort. So Flagler had the idea to make St. Augustine into a winter resort for the wealthy Americans. Again, I blame him for the idea of snowbirds. Anyways. His idea of making it a winter resort for wealthy Americans is actually something you can still see in the town today. And if you've been there, you've probably been to some of the places that he actually founded or worked on or built. And of course, he started to work on the railroads and he wanted to join them together to become the Florida East Coast Railway, which would actually bring people south. So far south that he all went all the way down through Florida. He even built the bridge over the St. John's River in 1888 and that truly opened up Florida and St. Augustine for development because it meant that they could get supplies and people into the areas. Now, of course, since he built that bridge, he really set his sights on improving the town, and he did. In 1887, so a year before he even built the bridge, he had already finished his construction of two ornate large hotels in the city. And you've heard of both of these, and you've probably walked past them, and they're just beautiful buildings, and you can still see the architecture and the artwork and how much thought he put into this entire, basically, town. And he created the Ponce de Leon, or the Hotel Ponce de Leon, which was 450 rooms, large hotel. And he also built the Hotel Alcazar, which was 250 rooms. But he didn't stop there. He continued on through St. Augustine. And he even purchased a hotel that was already in the city. And that was called the Casa Monica Hotel. But he didn't like the name, so he renamed it the Cordova Hotel. And it actually sat across from the other two hotels he had already built. So he's just building his own little town. And he actually worked with the same architectural firm and radically changed St. Augustine to what it is what we see today. He even gave it a skyline, and he used a lot of Spanish Revival and Moorish Revival styles to set the, the tone for the city and the parts of Florida. You can also see that he paid homage to what originally found, to the Spanish that originally founded St. Augustine due to the Spanish Revival that he does use in so many of the buildings and town, parts of the town that he built. So when he built all this, the town saw a boom, and it just continued. It continued to be a stopping point for the wealthy as they headed down to South Florida thanks to the new railroads, and it continued to see tourism, and it even became a family-friendly vacation town thanks to the new automobiles and highways that took over the U.S. and led people into Florida. So much so that the tourism industry actually became the main source of economy for St. Augustine. And honestly, it probably still is the main source of the economy in the town today. Uh, if you live there, you know when it's going to be busy, you know when the tourist season is, and you can see when it dies out. Um, it's really funny. There's a big lull between, I would say, August to pretty much Halloween. Um, you'll get some snowbirds in there, but really Halloween because it's a haunted city. You want to go all ghost tours. So Halloween's kind of a big holiday for St. Augustine. 
But then it kind of dies down again. And then St. Augustine has this amazing thing that we're going to talk about, the Night of Lights. Um, we're going to talk about it again in a minute um, later in the podcast. But it is, it's really helped create its own tourist boom, and it's given itself another season. And then it lulls again until spring break for a couple weeks. And then it lulls, and then summer, and it never stops. From, I would say, gosh, I would even say spring break. There's not a lull after it to summer. It really just starts in late February and it just doesn't stop until Labor Day. And that really is when you see the town come alive. So the town continued to persevere through all this. Um, but the 60s were kind of tough years for the city due to the civil rights movement and a couple other things that were going on. So there, Brown versus Board of Education had already happened. But by the 60s, the, the town still wasn't segregating its schools like it was supposed to. And it wasn't letting integration happen in schools, public accommodations, really anywhere in town. Um, St. Augustine just wasn't doing it. And, of course, that brought in its fair shares of sit-ins, nonviolent protests, marches, picket lines, many arrests and violence. And, of course, that brought out the worst in people, such as the Ku Klux Klan in the area. St. Augustine even had visits from Martin Luther King Jr. to help with the civil rights movement in the area. He was in St. Augustine from May to July in 1964, where he helped organize sit-ins and other forms of nonviolent, peaceful protest in the town. And the actions actually led to hundreds of people supporting the civil rights, both black and whites, and it led to numerous arrests and the jails constantly being full in the area because of all these protests. They wanted it. They just wanted the rights for the people. Fun fact, St. Augustine is the only place that Martin Luther King Jr. was ever actually arrested, and it occurred on June 11th in 1964 on the steps of Monson Motor Lounge Restaurant. Unfortunately, the restaurant is not there anymore. It was demolished in 2003 to make way for the Hilton Bayfront Inn, so if you've seen the Bayfront Inn, that's where that motor lodge once stood. I am sorry to say that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Tourism or not, there are some pieces of history that need to preser be preserved, and that definitely feels like it should have been one of them. But there is a plaque. You can still see it today. You can see the plaque. But the reason that this place is so historic is because a group of black and white protesters jumped into the segregated pool. But the worst part is, is that the manager of the hotel, who is an absolutely horrible human being, poured muriatic acid into the water to burn the people. So, not only were you just a complete idiot for not doing what you should have done, you wanted to hurt people for someone else standing up for others' rights. You, sir, are the lowest kind of person. But, of course, because they did this, the KKK also had to respond to these protests, and that created violent attacks, which actually caused more sympathy for the black protesters and actually helped spur on the Civil Rights Acts of 1964 and the Voting Rights Acts of 1985, which made it a federally protected and enforced constitutional right. So, while this guy is a complete jackass, and the KKK are just, you know, words I shouldn't say on a podcast because I don't know what ages are listening, it good did come out of it, which that is a great thing. So, thank you, St. Augustine, for helping being a part of the civil rights movement and for showing that, you know, everybody deserves these basic human rights. So, thank you for that, but... Screw you people who are just assholes like that. Alright, side notes over. Sorry. Um, St. Augustine, of course, continued to persevere. Um, changes happen. It moved, 
what is it? What do they say? Time marches on. So they persevered, and they even actually celebrated their 400th anniversary in 1965. Now, of course, the anniversary also brought out the historic St. Augustine Preservation Board, and that actually led to the reconstruction and preservation of 36 buildings that led back to their historical appearances. So when you walk through St. Augustine and you see these old homes, it's because they have been preserved as such. Someone wanted to take the time to show St. Augustine what it was, what it had been, and what it needs to be today. Although, fun fact, if you do own a place in St. Augustine, um, they, they make you oh, cover a lot of insurance on it because of this historic preservation. So not only do you have to pay a high price to live there, you have to pay a high price to, own, to just cover the house because of hurricanes or damages or fires because they want it so well preserved. And I think that's really cool, but not enough for me to ever want to actually try to buy a house in St. Augustine, in this city. I'm just talking about the downtown, guys, not a regular part of it. But the downtown is so well preserved that you have to carry a lot of insurance on it. So, of course, they did the preservation of these buildings, and it is what you see today. And the state later actually abolished the board in 1997, which returned control of these buildings over to the city of St. Augustine. And, of course, one of those buildings is the government house, which you can actually see today, and it is a museum. It's at the end of the Plaza de la Constitución. So if you ever go to the plaza, it's the place with the obelisk and the, the cannons. There is one part that faces the inlet, and then there's one that has a really beautiful old stone house. That's the governor's house, or the government house. Um, it is a really cool museum. It was free last time I checked. If you have a second, go through it. It's really cool. It does talk about the city and the changes and the history of it. Now, the city kept control of those houses, but it actually transferred the houses to control of UF Historic St. Augustine Incorporated, which is actually a direct support organization of the University of Florida. Basically, to continue to preserve these homes and businesses and the streets of St. Augustine to the way they are and to continue to see it preserved. Now, of course, the town also celebrated the 450th anniversary in 2015, and the 2015 anniversary was so wild. I mean, it was a blast. It was, if you got to be there, it was just amazing. And the festival was four days, and it actually included a visit from Felipe IV of Spain and Queen Letizia of Spain. So these people, and they actually came and they visited the city and they got to experience the 450th anniversary. But it was just, there were fireworks, there was parties, there was just, it was a really cool place to be in 2015. But it was wild and there were people everywhere. Now, that brings us up to today. Of course, they just celebrated their 456th birthday. I was about to say anniversary. I don't know. Sorry. 456th birthday, so that's really cool to say that they've stood that long and they've seen a lot of changes in their town and they've had a lot of stuff happen to them, but they have persevered. So think about it. The town has been through numerous fires, pirate attacks, Indian attacks, changes in governments, plagues, hurricanes, you name it, the city still stands. Now, of course, one of the worst disasters, not disasters, but the worst things to hit St. Augustine recently was actually Hurricane Matthew. And that was the last hurricane to really hit St. Augustine. And that happened on October 7th of 2016. And it caused destruction and flooding all the way downtown through the towns of St. Augustine. 
and it was it was bad um and of course living in florida you always deal with hurricanes and floods and they'll still continue to deal with them in the future but this one was bad um saint augustine because it was built back in the 1500s the roads are narrow um plumbing's not always the greatest there's not a lot of drainage so it kind of floods when there's just a hard rainstorm so it's not a huge surprise that it flooded by one of the worst hurricanes to have hit the area, but the amount was just kind of overwhelming. Um, and of course, that's not the first hurricane to hit St. Augustine. Um, the hurricane of 1811 spawned stories of people using rowboats to get to their front doors. Hurricane Dora destroyed part of the area in September of 1964, and it caused tides five to eight feet above normal, which caused flooding. <laughs> Irma even affected the area in 2017, but Hurricane Matthew was one that really hit the town hard. Um, it caused flooding five to seven feet above normal in the town and really the whole county. Um, I remember seeing on the news and YouTube videos of people standing in the doorways of, I want to say it was Casablanca Inn on the Bay. And to go to this hotel, you have to walk up a good six steps. And then there's a balcony and then there's like another or a pa uh, porch. And then there's another step to get into the actual uh, hotel. And water was just there. It was going in. It. There are marks on the, if you walk by some of the streets on the Avenida Menendez, you can actually see markers, plaques showing how high the water line. And it was above my head and I'm about 5'6". So... You know, the flooding was massive, and it caused sand dunes to wash away. It endangered the homes on the beaches. And it, you know, it's really, there's a reason when they say you should evacuate. You should evacuate. And this is one of those towns that it's going to flood. So the town basically became a ghost town, which was great. But because of all the water from the rain and the tides and the intercoastal water just spilling over into Avenida Menendez, um, the flooding stayed around a little bit longer than normal. And like I said, you can still see the high water marks with the placards. Um, you know, next time you walk down, just look. You'll you'll see them on the walls, the shops, the windows. And, and I guarantee you it's going to be above your head. And the town persevered. And of course, the area north of the town, which is the Volano area, Volano Beach area, got worse than downtown. And of course, the damage continued up towards Ponte Vedra. But the town had stood for 451 years at that point, and even though Irma came through a year later, they persevered, and they're still there today. Now, of course, most of you, when you think of St. Augustine, you do think of Castillo de San Marcos. You think of the beautiful beaches that surround it, and you think of the beautiful sites to take in while you're in the city. And we're going to talk about a few of those sites. The first one we are going to talk about is literally the most recognizable, and that is going to be the Castillo de San Marco or St. Mark's Castle, as it's known in English. The Castillo is the oldest masonry fort in the continental U.S. Construction did begin in 1672, as I said earlier. And that's literally because of the French, the English, and the natives continuing to attack the area. Now, of course, the core of the fort was completed in 1695, and it has a distinctive star shape, and it's made from coquina. And coquina is basically ancient shells that had bonded with sedimentary rock. And it's a really, really strong rock. It's probably the closest to limestone. Uh, the Native Americans from nearby missions and prisoners actually constructed the fort, as well as skilled laborers brought over from Havana. The coquina was brought from King's Quarry, which is on nearby Anastasia Island. 
Um, for you guys who are sure where Anastasia Island is, it's actually the place where St. Augustine Lighthouse stands. The fort, this fort has four bastions, and they're actually named. I didn't know this until um, I was doing this research for the podcast, but they're named San Pedro, San August, Augustine, San Carlos, and San Pablo. The fort does have a moat, even though if you've been there, you've probably never seen it full because it's mostly kept dry. But it is able to be flooded for attack when imminent. There's even a legend that they used to have, um, they used to grow crops or have goats in there for livestock. Kind of works. The fort is guarded by cannons, some you can even see today. They have a hotshot furnace, which was used to heat cannonballs and shoot them at wooden enemy ships. So if you've ever walked through the fort in the moat, there's something that looks like an oven, like a big pizza oven. That's the hotshot furnace where they would heat the cannonballs and then launch them at, at the ships. The fort has had some restoration work done to it, and it was actually named a national monument in 1924. The fort is run by the National Park Service. Same thing that runs Fort Matanzas that's off of Anastasia Island. And the fort was officially renamed from Fort Marion to its original Spanish name, Castillo de San Marcos, in 1942. It, of course, is on the National Register of Historic Places. That was in 1966. And the monument is a truly popular tourist attraction now. You can take tours of the fort seven days a week, and there are lines. If you want to go and you don't want to wait in line, you got to get there before it opens. That's the time you'll wait in line. Um, I always see people going in and out. I know with COVID, they were only allowing so many, and the lines would literally back up down the seawall. Of course, you can walk around the grounds of the fort on the seawall uh, and in the moat when the park isn't open or the fort itself is not open. You can always walk around it. You can actually see some really cool marine life off the seawall. Um, there's a turtle that hangs out um, near one of the star points. If you walk up to the fort like you're going to enter it and you go around to the side where there's a set of wooden steps, you can see another seawall that they built there to kind of moat, to kind of like butt it up to the where the sea stops. Um, there's actually a little sea turtle that hangs out over there. I've, I saw him a I've seen them a bunch. Every now and then you might see another one. But you can see dolphins off the um, off the seawall around the fort. It's just a really cool place um, to just sit and to take in the area. You can see boats. They're going in and out of the inlet. And there's, of course, an amazing view of the Bridge of Lions. You can actually also see the lighthouse from the fort. And, of course, if you get the chance to go in it, definitely do so. You can see how they lived, how they handled things in the fort. Um... There's some really interesting stories that come out of the fort, especially from the time that the Spanish did have it. Probably the worst story to come out of the fort is um, there was a, I don't know, I've heard conflicting stories. I don't know if he was a general or a um, governor. I think he was a general. He had a lover and she ran off with another uh, guy stationed at the fort. He found out and he had them bricked up in a wall in the fort that where they were chained to the wall with their arms chained out and they were barely a fingertip apart. So they literally died together, not able to touch each other, fingertips apart. And they actually did discover this later on. There was a walled up room that they found and that's the room that they believe that, that they were in because there was shackles and stuff and they found other things that would lead to you believe this but that's just one of the many stories about the fort um i have actually seen i don't know if it was a century or 
what looked like a lamp uh, walking by itself across the fort, the top of the fort from one of the bastions to the other. It's just one of the many things you can kind of see at the fort. Um, of course, the most eerie experience I had in St. Augustine actually happened at the fort. It was about 2 a.m. one morning. I was leaving the town to go back to Jacksonville. And we saw, me and my husband saw people walking across the seawall that, you know, was around the fort, so the other part of the moat. And they just disappeared. All right, no big deal. Maybe they got down, maybe they jumped. But what followed was probably the most blood-curdling scream I have ever heard. Better than anything I've ever heard out of a horror movie. It chilled me to the bone. Every hair on my body stood up. And I was like, nope, time to go. So, if you are around the fort and you do feel like something's watching you, it probably is. <laughs> uh, the next place I want to talk about is the St. Francis Barracks. Not a lot of people really realize that these barracks are in the town. They're a little bit more south. They're a historic structure that was constructed of coquina stone, and they're located on Marine Street that's just south of the main downtown area. They were constructed between 1725 and 1755 by the friars from the Order of St. Francis. They constructed it to replace a series of wooden buildings that, of course, had been destroyed by fires from a natural cause and then were eventually raised again by the English in 1702. So they were... The barracks were actually turned into a military structure by the British in 1763 when the Franciscan friars that were living there and as well as the majority of the Spanish residents in the area left to go back to uh, Havana. The St. Francis barracks actually encompassed a larger military reservation that developed around the barracks, so there's actually a couple more buildings around it. The historic structures are more like the King's Bakery that are in with the barracks, and the barracks today are used by the, national, by the U.S. military and as well as the headquarters for the Florida National Guard. The barracks also sit next to St. Augustine's National Cemetery. If you ever get the chance to go walk past them, it's actually a really cool site. Um, they do sit right on the edge of the Matanzas Inlet, so you get a really good view of the inlet. Um, and they're, it's just a really beautiful building that I feel is often overlooked because it's not in more of the touristy area. It's, more, it's, it's further south towards Lincolnville. So if you ever get the chance, walk around, pay your respects to those in the cemetery. Another really cool uh, building in St. Augustine is the Markland Mansion. I feel it's another overlooked beauty of St. Augustine because it kind of sits off King Street and you drive by it and you don't really even notice it. Now, Markland was originally created by Andrew Anderson. Oh, sorry. It was originally called the Andrew Anderson House uh, based on who built it. And it is a historic mansion and it actually is on the campus of Flagler College. Flagler College actually owns it now. The mansion does face King Street, and you literally can just drive past it and not even realize it. And if you still can't figure out where I'm talking about, um, if you're driving down King Street into St. Augustine, there is a post office on your uh, right if you're driving into St. Augustine. It's literally across the street from it. Just look the other way, and there's uh, Markland. And the house was constructed in Coquina when Dr. Andrew Anderson wanted a mansion in 1839. He'd arrived in St. Augustine 10 years earlier with his family out of New York, and he wanted a home in the beautiful city. Now, he actually owned a lot more land than what the house shows, of course, because the residence was sold by Dr. Anderson's son to Henry Flagler for part of his Ponce de Leon Hotel. Now, of course, Flagler did not tear down the, hotel, the house, which we're glad for because it's a beautiful place. Um, and it is on the National Register of Historic Places. It was put there in 1978. It actually is used for events at Flagler College. Um, 
I know that they do weddings and parties there and plenty of other catering events happen, but it's a really beautiful old house. It is a little creepy, uh, but a lot of people just stroll past this house without even a look. And it actually sits on King Street at the corner of King Street and Markland. The, the road is named Markland. And, you know, if you're ever there and you're looking at the post office, just look the other way and take a second to appreciate this beautiful old house. Now, out of all the beautiful buildings that St. Augustine has, it actually has some really beautiful churches. And, of course, if you've been to St. Augustine, you're probably thinking of a couple. There's the Grace United Methodist, the Cathedral Basilica of St. Augustine, the Memorial Presbyterian, and the Trinity Church of St. Augustine. All these are absolutely beautiful, and two of them were built by Flagler. Grace United Methodist was actually paid for by Henry Flagler after giving Olivet Methodist Episcopal Church their plot of land, giving out, having them give up their plot of land so he could build on it for his hotel. He actually built them this church where it stands today, and it held its first church services on January 1st in 1888. The church actually looks the same as the hotel, so you would actually think it's part of the hotel or the college now, and it really just fits right in with the city. Of course, the, Basil the Cathedral Basilica of St. Augustine is a historic cathedral in the city, and it's also located in the Plaza de la Constitución. The church took five years, and it's actually constructed in the 1790s, from 1793 to 1797. It's on the U.S. National Landmarks Historical Registry Places, and it's the oldest Christian congregation in the continuous U.S. because it was established in 1565 with the city. Of course, the church did burn down once in 1887, um, but construction was restarted, and thanks to donations from Henry Flagler, it was rebuilt to see what you see today. They did use the existing coquina and modern-day concrete that we see today. The church you're probably thinking of that you've seen is the Memorial Presbyterian Church. It is one of the most recognizable in St. Augustine, probably one of the most photographed from the amount of people I would see stopping taking pictures by the way, if you're going to take a picture, do not stop your car in the middle of a road. Park, get out, do not cause a wreck. And please, look both ways before crossing the roads, especially in St. Augustine. Sorry. So, the church was built in 1889, again by Flagler. He actually built it in memory of his daughter, Jeannie Louise Benedict, who died in childbirth, who died while giving birth to her child in 1889. Um, he wanted to put the church near his new hotels. And being a lifelong Presbyterian, he wanted him a place to go to church himself. He actually in, is inter, interred in a marble mausoleum that is connected to the church next to his daughter and the child she died giving birth to. And his first wife. Uh, the church is beautiful. It has stained glass windows, marble, and ornate fixtures. The church did sustain some damage from Hurricane Irma uh, when the 900-pound cross fell from the dome and punctured the copper in it. But... You can see it today, and it's beautiful. It's back to the way it looks. I recommend at least walking past it just to take in its beauty. The last church I'm going to talk about in St. Augustine is actually Trinity Parish, and it's a historic Episcopal church at the corner of King and St. George Street, also, again, right off the plaza. The church is actually the oldest Protestant church in Florida and has beautiful stained glass windows. I used I went to this church. Thank you, Deanna, again, for letting me go to church with you there. It's a beautiful church. They have a great uh, congregation. And the stained glass windows in that church are just absolutely beautiful. Um, they're over 150 years old, and it does have 10 windows. The church does contain one Lewis Comfort Tiffany window. And the reason that this church contains such beautiful windows is simply for the fact that a lot of people couldn't read and write back then. 
So the, the stained windows were to tell the stories, um, kind of give the truths of religion and to tell the stories what people, what, of what Jesus did and how creation and things like that. The church also has a beautiful Carillion, and you can hear it at 12.30 and 5. It plays for 30 minutes. And so if you, the next time you get to go to this place, to St. Augustine, stop by this church. Um, it's just a beautiful place. And if you need a quiet place to stop and just to think, any of these churches is a good place to stop and take a moment. Now, of course, I've gone over a lot of St. Augustine, but I still haven't even really touched all of it. Um, I haven't even talked to you about the the Ponce de Leon Hotel or any of the other amazing places on St. George's Street. And, of course, we haven't talked about the ghost. So you guys know what that means, right? St. Augustine Part 2 will happen eventually. Um, and if you have a story from St. Augustine, please let me know it. But, of course, if you've ever been to St. Augustine, then you know that it's, it is more than just beautiful buildings, historic places, good foods, and good bars. There is the infamous Haunted Lighthouse, and the town has stood the test of time, and we've talked about some of it. Honestly, I'll probably do the rest of this around Halloween, because there's nothing better than a spooky side for October. And of course, we'll talk about the notoriously haunted parts of it. Um, but if you ever have gone to St. Augustine, or had the chance to go, or haven't had the chance to go, either way, um, definitely check it out. It's definitely a city. It really does give us that Florida feeling, because it is what started florida um don't be surprised though if you go and you, you see a lot of tourists or drunk people or things like that but you know what else roams the town of saint augustine <laughs> florida man and i wish that was a joke but my gosh florida man is everywhere and saint augustine is no exception the florida man story today actually comes to us from july of 2020 but it's out of orlando um a man got out of the cop's grasp and began to cartwheel away to get to make his getaway from the cops. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm going to run from the cops, I'm going to run. I'm not just going to cartwheel away. Um, I guess drugs and beer are a hell of a thing, guys. So, I hope that you enjoyed the historic part of St. Augustine that I talked about in this part. Of course, there will be a part two, possibly a part three. The ghosts might even just get their own. Um, so there will be a more episode soon and even a spooky episode, but let me know if you want me to include any ghost stories or a place that you want me to talk about in St. Augustine. I'd be happy to include it in the next part. Um, email me, message me about it. Uh, you can get a hold of me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, that Florida feel at gmail.com is another way. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, Actually, if you do have a ghost story from St. Augustine, seriously send it to me. I, I can't be the only one to have had these experiences there. I know that. Um, so if you do have one, let me know. I would love to include it in my um, St. Augustine ghost episode, which will probably happen in October. But you guys, for now, let's stay safe, stay prepared, drink water, be nice, wear your sunscreen, and don't turn into Florida man. As always, guys, that is your daily dose of sunshine.